at the end of the day, if you're in business, you have to be selling something. And I find a lot of people find it really difficult to work out where people are comfortable with pricing. So if I said to you, Junaid, what's your budget? Your initial reaction to me would be, I don't know if I have one, I don't want to tell you. So I have a little bit of a hack for working past this. I hope none of my clients are listening. So what I'll normally say is, the price that working with me, it normally ranges between this and this. Um, and my feeling for you is you're probably going to be around this point. And then I'll ask them, how do you feel about that? And instead of asking them what the price is, I'm asking them how they feel about a range of prices. And their response to that will tell me where they are in terms of budget. They'll either tell me that entire range doesn't work for me. Or they'll say where you had me was probably about right. Or they'll say, you know what, I'm really comfortable with. And it, it gives them some orientation and it's flawless, never fails. Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, we got to speak with Bob Gentle. Bob has worked in the field of digital marketing for nearly 20 years, for most of that time running his own agency. He now works with a handful of corporate clients, but focuses on helping personal brand entrepreneurs fine-tune their product or business model, then find and build an audience online and compete against larger businesses with deeper pockets. He does this through niche personal brand agency services, speaking, consulting, and workshops, as well as group-based or one-on-one -on -one programs of hybrid coaching, consulting, and training. Alongside this, he hosts the The Personal Brand Entrepreneur Show, rated in the global top 2% of all podcasts. Listen notes, Bob interviews, trailblazing creators, niche influencers, consultants, and business owners. While the podcast scratches the curiosity itch for Bob, it also fuels and shapes his client work, keeping him very current and connected to what's working right now. Bob lives in Scotland with his wife, is a keen snowboarder, former search and rescue team leader and British Army reservist. Tune in for valuable insights and inspiration. Bob, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It is my absolute pleasure. It's the, my favorite thing to do. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, it's my favorite thing to do as well, to be guesting on podcasts and talking to my awesome friends. Let's go back to the beginning, not too far back, but what got you started and what enabled you to be in the space that you are today? So my business is an absolute privilege. I get to help people build, market and monetize their personal brands. And it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's essentially, I help people identify what is their zone of genius and then spend as much time as possible in that. So your question was how I got into it? Yes, sir. It's a very long path. The, the simplest answer was, for me, it was a natural consequence of a large and long sequence of events specializing in this one thing has really only been in the last five years. Prior to that, 
I ran a more broad digital agency. And prior to that, I was waiting for my thing. Once the internet came along, that's when I, I discovered my passion and my vocation. So that's the short answer to the question. I could go much deeper and we'll probably do that later. That's really cool. It's almost like you solved your problem, right? And then you stepped into it. And the more you saw those appear, you saw the solution. Okay, this is something that I want to do. And then you went deeper into it. And I think a lot of the stories, origin stories start from there too. Yeah. If to go back a little bit further, I was always working around tech and technology because so my dad, he's in his mid seventies now. He was one of the first computer programmers. He showed me his university work and bearing in mind, this would have been in the 1950s and he was writing software by hand in a book for his main university final piece of work, uh, which is crazy. And then he spent most of his adult life as a developer. So I grew up around this in the 1980s and 1990s, but I never, I was really dyslexic. Dyscalculia was probably my main thing. So I was never going to be a computer programmer. Mm. And then when the web came along, finally, there was my place. I was a creative and a technical creative. And so for me, it was a huge relief. My, my teens and my early 20s, I was just waiting for the internet, really. I was just goofing off. Man, that's really powerful. So you, and it's very important to goof off, right? Because you learn the intricacies of the internet. You learn all of the things that make it tick, that make it work. You find the loopholes, you find what's breaking and how to fix it. And to tell you the truth, you have to goof around if that's something that you want to become an expert in. Literally, yeah. woodworkers are goofing around with saws and materials before, hey, this is how you put this stuff together because you got to learn. Yeah, it's how we've trained craft craftsmen for generations that you start off as an apprentice that's the goofing off stage. Mm. Yeah, you have to work hard sometimes, but there's a lot of goofing off. Then you're a journeyman. You've got to just practice your craft for a long time, traveling around. And then you become a master craftsman. And that takes probably 20 years. So yeah, I liken it to that as well. I'm, I've always been very aware of this whole idea of the, the archetypal hero's journey. It's never complete. It's never finished. Mm. You're never finished. And for me, I build that into my work with clients as well, which is, it's again, it's getting a little bit metaphysical, but yeah, I, I, I identify very strongly with that. I love that so much. So as a content marketing specialist that you're helping folks figure out their stories, figure out their personal brand so that they can market themselves so that they can go out there and share with the world what their story is. What are some of the first things that you ask, let's say, your potential clients? The first thing I ask will simply be, what is it that sparks joy? Because, and this, I guess, for your audience specifically, mm -hmm. hobbies are going to be something that sparks joy. But not many people are privileged to be doing what they do for joy, yeah. for money. Um a lot of people have 
stumbled into their careers professionally because it made money initially. Mm. And so what I like to do is let's start with, okay, within all of the things you do for money, what sparks joy? Because, and this is something I was, I became very aware of at one point in my life. Mm. When you, let's say you're a, a plumber is a good example. So you're a plumber and you work in a local community as a plumber. You have to do everything people ask you to do as mm. a plumber. You don't get to choose because you don't have a big enough audience right. to really specialize. But if you're a plumber who just wants to work on a particular kind of a plumber, honestly, is not the best example. Actually, well, actually, if you think about it, a plumber that installs just toilet seats or a yeah. plumber that just installs tubs, their specialty is the tub. Yeah. If your specialty is the tub, you are the best person in the world at this. Then you're not going to have enough people in your city to support you just involved mm -hmm. in installing tubs. But you could build an incredible business teaching that one thing online. Yeah. The internet is a very big place. And when you're moving from your local community where you maybe have an audience of a couple of hundred thousand perhaps to an audience of potentially billions, everything changes. Mm. So understanding, okay, if you could do anything for anyone, because you could, what would that one thing be and who would it be for? Because yeah. once you understand the thing that lights you up and the people that light you up, you can start to approach your work differently. And over time, this dream can become a reality. So for me, it's what lights you up and let's work back from how could we turn that into a business? Hmm. It might take a bit of time, but that's really where I like to start. I love that so much. And so you're going back to the person like, okay, you, what lights you up? How, can this become a story so that we can really go deeper and talk about it? And what are the people that you're helping? And, and this is, I think, one of the most important things because I'm teaching entrepreneurship to high school students right now. And one of the topics that we talked about is figuring out the business model canvas. Mm. Now, it was a new thing for me when I first read it. But then as I go deeper into it, the first thing in a business model canvas is, but there's a total of nine blocks. And the first block is a customer segment, yeah. understanding that target audience, understanding who is it that's actually going to use my service and then figuring out what it is that you're going to deliver to them. I think when it comes to the business model canvas and also young entrepreneurs in particular, they're, to my mind, they're often taught in a bit of, in a way that's slightly wrongheaded. Mm -hmm. They're often taught to look at, okay, what's a business idea that could work rather than what's a dream that I have. Mm -hmm. And the way I like to approach it. So for me, this would be a layer that sits before the business model canvas. Yeah. It would be, okay, if I give myself, here's a way to think about it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you how to build a time machine. So the first question is, where do you want it to go? Yeah. And this is how you build a time machine. It starts with a dream. And that needs a little bit of fantasy. You get mm -hmm. to play. Not, there are no holds barred. Yeah. 
we can then establish from that dream a vision. From that vision, we can then look at projects. From those projects, we can look at tasks. And from those tasks, we then have daily actions. Mm -hmm. That's how you build a time machine. That then needs to be poured into the business model canvas. Because this is going to be the, the machine of your business. But the destination... The, the GPS coordinates for this fantasy, mm-hmm. they need to be set as well. Because the truth is you can do anything you, you want Yeah. if you just properly line up all the components in this time machine. It's not rocket science. You're so true. And in fact, one of the, one of the projects or one of the dreams of one of the students is to build a time machine or a watch that acts as a time machine that you can literally open a portal and step into a new space. It's pretty interesting. Like the creative ideas that are coming out of the classes is really fascinating. Mm. So as we go into understanding what it is that heart is our heart desire and how we can build on that desire, on that dream, the rest of the marketing structure for that personal brand. Let's go to the next step. So let's just look at some really practical things. Mm-hmm. For me, I'll maybe start with what's my interpretation of personal brand. Yeah. Because everybody has a kind of slightly different approach to this. So people will be familiar with the idea of a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. This is one of mm-hmm. the classic definitions. Mm-hmm. And a personal brand is exactly the same. Everybody has one. There's n- saying I I have a personal brand, everybody has a personal brand. It's just how intentional are you about the amplification and Mm. the nuancing of what's being transmitted. So let's just take it as a foundation. Everybody has a personal brand. If we want to be intentional about cultivating it so you're sending a very specific message and then transmitting that message at scale, we're going to need some vectors for that message to go out. And for me, you mentioned content and content marketing. Mm -hmm. Content marketing is simply showing up where people are. And in my world, that's online because online we can scale up our message. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we, we need to look at, okay, what content formats are we going to look at? Is it going to be written? Is it going to be video? Is it going to be audio? podcast, video for me, the main platform is going to be YouTube. Mm. We can maybe come to why later on. And the main platform for audio is going to be audio podcast. So we've got that as a given. We Mm. now know, okay, we need to go out on these platforms. For me, video is always going to be the most potent because there's some interesting neurology happening with video. We're talking about personal branding and a personal brand essentially requires me to exist in your mind. Mm. And when you see me on video, that's creating neural pathways in your brain. If you see me repeatedly on video, I'm starting to burn myself into your brain to be Mm. quite crude. This is a brand. I'm branding your brain. So repeatedly showing up in somebody else's world in video is a powerful thing. Mm. And 
I don't know, you must have met some people who were famous to you, I'm guessing. Yeah. You didn't know who they were. No, they didn't know who you were, but you knew right. them. Yes. You had a powerful relationship with them. They didn't know who you are. This is a really weird experience when, you're, when you have it. And people experience that with celebrities all the time because they're watching these celebrities on television and movies and shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what they've done is they've created a parasocial relationship with you. It's one-sided. And anybody can cultivate this through repeatedly appearing mm. for other people. That We're talking about being like super famous, right. but you can also be micro-famous micro for famous. your ideal client. So... I'm rolling ahead a little bit. I like it. I like it. So we now know, okay, we need to show up in other people's lives. We're then looking at content strategy. And there's a couple of aspects to this. The first one is, okay, what are you going to talk about? The mistake most people make is they just go for the low-hanging fruit mm. and they create content instinctively. So if you were, let's say, that plumber again, you just create videos about hot tubs. Mm. Nobody cares because they don't care until they care. And, and additionally, if you think about any celebrity you're really into, so for me, we'll take somebody like Pat Flynn, who I know you and I both know. Mm -hmm. I know what Pat does for fun. I know what his kids look like. I know where he goes on vacation. I know what books he reads. I know what movies he watches because I'm into Pat and he shares that stuff. So Pat exists for me in three dimensions in my mind. Unconsciously, I know Pat really well. Whereas if you take somebody else who maybe does similar things, but all they ever do is post about work, they exist one dimensional. And you can create, you can't create the same depth of unconscious relationship. Are you there? There's people like Pat Flynn who... Yes are very intentional about share ooh. people like Pat Flynn who are very intentional about sharing different aspects. So we can have a three dimensional relationship with them where there are others who will more instinctively create very one dimensional content. And then they wonder why nobody really engages with them. It's because nobody really knows them. So looking at how can we maybe pre-plan a suite of topics that we can turn to more intentionally rather than just creating instinctive content, which tends to be quite limited in its nature. Um, there was one other strategic aspect when it comes to content, which helps a lot of people because you'll hear a lot of people talking about short form video or long form video on YouTube or search engine optimization or blogging or podcast, and people get really confused and they end up being paralyzed by choice. So I use this framework to try and help people unpack that. Um, people will be familiar with the idea of an investment portfolio. And in an investment portfolio, you'll have short-term investments, medium-term investments, and long-term investments. So for me, the short-term investments when it comes to content, we're really talking about ads. And for most people, that's something for another day. Then we have the medium-term investments. And here we're talking about social media and social networking. 
TikTok videos, that kind of thing. Because you create the content, you post the content, and within a couple of days, its value evaporates. That's where most people tend to put an awful lot of their effort in, and it feels like a hamster wheel. Additionally, if you're working with agencies, that's mostly where they'll recommend you spend your money, which is, again, a bad idea. The long-term investments, they are really blogging, podcast, and YouTube in that order. And I, maybe not quite in that order, but for me, these are, they're like high interest bank accounts. Every time you invest, the value of your portfolio is going to grow. The longer you invest, the bigger your asset becomes. Um, So for me, for example, I can create no content for a month, three months. I'll still be building relationship because people come and listen to the podcast and people watch the YouTube videos. And when you have that long-term investment, you can come back to social media, social content, and repurpose, and it's much, much easier. So those are a couple of ways of thinking about content. Man, I really love that analogy and that parallel because it's so true. And it's interesting that marketing agencies would tell you to focus on the short-term investment because that's how they make the massive money, but it's not going to last for you a long time. But I think what what has happened over the past couple of years is that platforms are also focusing and sending more traffic on those short-term investments or the short videos. How do we combat that or do we still do a parallel or do what's the I proper think way to do it? This is how I would look at it. Yes, the platforms are all suggesting because these are social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, these are social media platforms. They depend on content. So they will all tell you, if you want to perform well, you need to be creating the short form content. And they're not wrong. Mm -hmm. But what you're not hearing is you need to be making your long-term investment first. So for me, podcast and YouTube would be my main go-tos. Once you've got that locked in, Mm -hmm. by all means, come back and play in the short form or social content uh, arena. But like any investor, you take care of the long term first. Once you've got yeah. that locked in, now you can play with the big boys. You can go and do your speculative stuff. Speculative. <laughs> I love that so much. And and I was just talking to uh, my friend yesterday or the day before, and I was uh, thinking about one specific gentleman, specifically Brendan Kumar Asami, he's been a guest on the podcast. He has a massively successful YouTube channel called Master Talk. And when I met him three, about three, four years ago, his channel had probably 2,000 subscribers. But what he knew that he wanted to do is create a post a video every single week on Master Talk, public speaking and whatnot. Yeah. He continued to do that over time. And when Clubhouse hit, he was on Clubhouse literally 14 hours a day, spending a ton of time having these conversations. And guess where the traffic he was sending to? He was sending the traffic to his YouTube channel. He now has 35,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. He's okay, now that I have this 
massive stable of long-term investments, I can now dabble. And now he's creating TikTok content, he's creating LinkedIn content, all to support that same thing that he's been talking about for years. Yeah. And a lot of that will actually be repurposing his long-term, long-form content. I think once you have that, you can quite easily repurpose it. Yeah. But yeah, that's a smart investor. Very smart investor. And goes to show he, instead of doing athletics in college, he instead opted for being a debater. So he would talk with other people and learn public speaking and spent 100 plus hours in just speaking. And that's why he's such a great speaker. So thank mm-hmm. you for giving the formula and giving the analogy. And then now we have an example that acts, he's actually applied that formula. And now he runs a business where he's coaching other CEOs. And he's yeah. barely, he's not even 30s in his 30s yet. And what he gets to enjoy is that he could go away for six months. Mm-hmm. His audience are still consuming his content. Yes. The problem with things like TikTok and Clubhouse is the moment you stop creating content, mm-hmm. the algorithm will stop distributing it. Yeah. And so you have no audience. And, the, and, and I think that's the beautiful t- part about blogs and YouTube video content is because they're designed as a content first platform as yeah. opposed to engagement first platform. Yeah. All right, Bob, this has been so much fun. I understand from so many different perspectives what and how important content marketing is. Let's say somebody is creating a brand new brand. They have an idea that they want to move forth with and they want to create this product or create this book. What is the first thing that they should be looking about? They've got, they know that they need to do long-term investment, but how do they go about implementing that for their product? I think the, uh, the truth is most people probably know what to do. Mm. The barriers are often not what to do, but how can I make myself do it? Sure. Because as soon as you start talking about content and particularly video content, and you'll remember this from when it was new to you. Yeah. As soon as you reach for that record button, all the demons pile in. People might not like it. Oh, I'm going to look unprofessional. There's all kinds of mental blocks to get through. Imposter syndrome, comparison. So one piece of advice that I would offer is when fear starts to come in and you start to second guess yourself, fear shrinks in the light. Mm. So Give yourself a moment, step back and think specifically, what am I scared of? What is it specifically? And as soon as you can get specific, it's like this kid's picture of there's the kid sees a monster in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. but what they realize is that it's just a little bug with a big light behind it. Yeah. And as soon as you can get specific, you realize actually this is irrational. Yeah. Another thing that I like to use to help people lean into their own authenticity Mm. is people worry that people might not like me. And I want to tell you that's absolutely true. Some people will not like you. Mm. Probably, and this is me stylizing things a little bit, let's say one third of people 
are actively going to dislike you. Yeah. Great. One third of people are going to completely ignore you, mm. but one third of people will love you. Yeah. Your job, and this is statistically true of anybody, one third of people that you meet will like you. Your job is just to create content for that one third. Mm. And if you can do that, something magical happens. That one third grows and they start to connect with you. And suddenly you establish a business where the people who are coming to you like you mm. before you've even met them. And what's even more exciting is you like them too. Yeah. One of my mentors said that your vibe attracts your tribe. If you transmit on an authentic frequency, you're going to attract an audience that are really into you. And when I understood that, I could relax into creating content much more. And it became easy. And you don't really need to worry too much about tech and tactics. Yeah. This for me is the, the, it's the key that unlocks the first door. There was another little mental framework that mm -hmm. really helped. It's a guy called Philip Van Dusen who he's told me this twice on my podcast. And he said that if you want to be good at anything, and he was using particularly video content mm -hmm. because he also has a big YouTube channel. He said, it, it's, there's a lot, it's a lot like learning to play tennis. If you want to be a good tennis player, you can buy great tennis shoes. You can watch the best tennis players. You can read the best books. You can hire the best coaches. But until you start playing tennis, you can never get great at playing tennis. Yes. The, the price of getting good at playing tennis is sucking at tennis first. So you have to be really enthusiastic about being mm. bad at something before you can get good at it. So I'll leave your that. ego at the door. You've got to get the reps in. Um, Amen. Amen. And you, you're so right. You're going to suck at everything when you first get started. You look at little kids. I have a one-year-old, right? And he, just a few months ago, he didn't know how to walk. Now he's running everywhere, right? With his hands out, he's running But at first he sucked at it, but now he can walk, he can run, do all sorts of things. And same. I was going to say, I'll tell you one more story. Yeah. Because it's, you're exactly right. And to build on that, I was teaching a workshop and we were talking about content marketing and then we mm -hmm. turned to video specifically. And there was a group, this was in person. And there was a group of about 12 people sitting around a big conference room table. And one woman sat up and she said, oh, And she was an accountant. Mm -hmm. She said, there's this other accountant and he's making these videos and they're terrible. Mm -hmm. And I thought, stop, because I knew who she was talking about because everybody was a local business around the yeah. table. Yeah. And I said, okay, around the room, who else knows who she's talking about? Everybody was nodding their heads. Mm -hmm. So I said, other than this accountant in the room and your own accountant, because they were all business owners, mm -hmm. how many other accountants do you know? That created content. This other accountant was the, that was making the videos was the only accountant they all recognized mm. other than the one in the room and the one they were already paying. So this guy had been winning with his terrible videos because yes. I acknowledge they weren't great, but he was existing in the mind of other people. He was mm. building trust with one third of the people who saw that yeah. videos, that video that would like him and his business was thriving. Mm -hmm. So... I think that for me is the perfect example yeah. of even when you're in the sucking stage, you can still be winning. Amen. 
Amen. Because you are, because you're failed when you have not taken any shot. And he, Sky, was taking a lot of shots. And some of the things that you'll see businesses do, like for example, everybody knows this new company that's on the verge of just being really huge. And the, the, you've probably seen the ads. I'm not going to say the name of it. You've probably seen the ads and you can buy really, you get free products from them. And the kids at my school, they're like, oh my God, I got five free things from there. I'm like, you got five things from there, but guess what they got from you? You are marketing for them right this minute. Yeah. But they don't understand that they don't, because they're still growing and, and understanding. But this company has like literally destroyed all of the ad spaces that you see on as you're scrolling through your browser, scrolling through social media, scrolling through like literally anywhere. And they have really good copy. Like their ads are really good as well. And they're exactly doing the same thing. They are now existing in our minds. Yeah. Bonus point for somebody who's going to comment on the video below, talk about who we are talking about. I think because I'm in the UK, I may be not being targeted by them. Sure. Usually I have my finger on a pulse of who people are mm -hmm. talking about, but I have no idea. <laughs> I will be reading the comments. Awesome. Bob, this has been an amazing conversation. I've learned so much that I can immediately start implementing and start strategizing to make sure that I'm doing that long-term investment so that I am existing in my client's mind before they even have a chance to chat with me. Let's take a quick break. And when you get back, you can share three valuable hacks or tips for superpreneurs listeners can immediately implement or integrate into their ventures. Are you ready to amplify your business? SPI Pro is your gateway to elevate your entrepreneurial journey, offering cutting edge education, immersive training, and interactive collaborations. Whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned pro, SPI Pro is the community for you, providing you access to professional networking and advice to accelerate your growth. To join, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI Pro. Join SPI Pro and transform your unique journey into a, a success story. Again, head on over to hacksandhobbies.com forward slash SPI Pro. Hey guys, welcome back. We've been talking with Bob Gentle here on the podcast. Super excited and really love the conversation around content marketing, around existing in the client's mind. And even if you're creating bad content, guess what? You are memorable because people will remember you. And guess what you're doing? You're putting in the reps to get better at it. And Bob has three more hacks for us to implement. Take it away, Bob. I'm going to try and go through these quite quickly. So at the end of the day, if you're in business, you have to be selling something. And I find a lot of people find it really difficult to work out where people are comfortable with pricing. So if I said to you, Junaid, what's your budget? Your initial reaction to me would be, I don't know if I have one. I don't want to tell you. So I have a little bit of a hack for working past this. I hope none of my clients are listening. So what I'll normally say is the price that working with me, it normally ranges between this and this. Um, and 
my feeling for you is you're probably going to be around this point. And then I'll ask them, how do you feel about that? And instead of asking them what the price is, I'm asking them how they feel about a range of prices. And their response to that will tell me where they are in terms of budget. They'll either tell me that entire range doesn't work for me. Or they'll say, where you had me was probably about right. Or they'll say, you know what, I'm really comfortable with. And it, it gives them some orientation and it's flawless, never fails. So that's number one. And it feels easier for everybody. Number two is a lot of people feel like they're not very creative and they struggle with idea generation. So what I have found is that ideas and especially big ideas, if you're working on a business or you're working on a big creative project, like a book or even a simple content plan, we're all told we need to be digital. We need to be electronic, but that doesn't work very well. Big ideas need space. They need a physical space because every time you walk past it, your unconscious is triggered and you'll probably add to that idea. So I love sticky notes and I love walls. Give big ideas time and give them space and you'll find that they emerge over time. Whenever you watch an artist or a sculptor, they always have sketches and those sketches grow out. You're exactly the same. Use the same tool. Give an idea space and you'll be amazed how it grows. It doesn't work electronically. The third one is everybody wants to be a little bit luckier. And I used to think, how am I always so lucky? And here's the thing. We have this thing in our brain called the reticular activating system. And what you'll find is the more you prepare for opportunities, the more the unconscious brain will start to show them to you. And let's say you wanted to be a speaker. If you've got your bio all written and you've got your talk outline all prepared, your unconscious brain is going to show, the, show you the opportunities more often. If you want to sell something, if you make sure you've got a really clear product description, you've got the pricing all locked in, and you know who it's for, you'll see that person more often. Janaid, you've got a young kid, so you'll be familiar with, you go to, into the store to buy the stroller. Mm-hmm. You think it's unique. You walk out to the store with the stroller and you start seeing them everywhere. That part of the brain also works for opportunities in the Mm. reverse. So if you're prepared for an opportunity, your unconscious brain knows what that looks like. Ah. It will start surfacing them when you need them. Some people might call that manifesting, Mm. but this is basic psychology. When you understand it, you can essentially design your luck. What do you want to be lucky for? get ready for it. It's this whole thing of the more I practice, the better I get or something. Wow. That's that's really interesting because my son was actually telling me, why are we seeing this car all the time while you've been thinking about it and you'll notice it more than anything else. And don't mention the blue elephant. And then guess what? Everybody's looking at the blue elephant Yeah, and not paying attention to the bear. There's a networking tactic that I train clients in, which is called the dream 100, Mm. where you make a list of 100 people. It doesn't have to be hundred. It could be 20, Sure, 100 people who, if you knew them and they knew you, it could change your life by putting them on a list. You're, you're telling the unconscious brain, these people matter to me in a very Mm. special way. 
And if you inject just a small amount of intentionality alongside that, saying, I'm going to connect with one of them on LinkedIn this week. Over time, the compound effect of the unconscious brain, the reticular activating system, and a small amount of intentionality, it can have a ridiculously powerful effect. So that's a really great hack because even though it's not a hack, but it's, I have a note on my desktop that says, I'm going to send a custom email to every person that was a guest on my podcast. It is very broad. It's not very specific. But if I have a list of people, then I'm more, I'm more inclined to contact them and have that ask or have that question for them. Even what you have there with the instruction, again, it's an unconscious prompt. Because it's mm. in your physical environment, it's, your unconscious is working on it. Yeah. And that's why you, you, your attention is drawn to it now and you think maybe this should be a list. Yeah. So mm, it right. evolves over time. So if I had given it physical space, I would be able to then put the names down of the people yeah. all around it. Here's the people I want to talk to. This is what they're going in. And it's really interesting because I see these guests on my feeds, on my different social media platform because, well, that was a guest on my podcast. That was a guest on my podcast. Let me go reach out to them to yeah. have that conversation. I love it. All right, Bob, let's jump into the last section segment of the podcast, rapid fire questions. Number one, what is the one hobby that you wish you got into? In the spirit of what we were talking about a minute ago, where if you want to get good at anything, you have to suck mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Actually, in preparing for this interview, I thought about this a little bit because I haven't ever thought about that. And really, I wish I'd really lent into being an artist, even though I would probably have sucked for a while. I would be great at it now. Mm -hmm. And I am thinking now, I should really bet on myself with this and make a start on it, even though I'm going to suck because I love self-expression. Yeah. I'm not a theater guy. I'm never going to be standing up on stage mm -hmm. waving my hands. Sure. But I'm a very visual person and I would love to be able to properly express myself. I love that so much. One of the, one of the guests that I had on the podcast, he's a mural artist. So he'll design and paint these massive murals that are 100 feet tall. And I'm just in awe every time I see them because how realistic they look. It's yeah. amazing. No, that, that's a skill I really admire. Yeah. All right, next up. What did you want to be when you were a child? So when I was a kid, there was no internet. The world was a very small place and I lived in the countryside. And when I watched TV, there were three channels. Mm -hmm. And I loved watching old black and white movies. So it was pirates and adventure and all kinds of stuff. And I also loved science fiction. Mm -hmm. And I remember for my birthday one year, I got a book of science fiction illustrations from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And I was mesmerized. So the simple answer to your question is I wanted to be a space ninja pirate, but it wasn't possible, but an, an adventurer it. of some kind. Mm. And I was so disappointed when I was informed, we have explored everything now. You can't be an explorer. <laughs> Knowing now that's not true, but it's not true. No, um, I love that. All right. Next up, what is your favorite movie or television? My favorite movie is one, I don't, it seems not very many people have seen it, but mm. it's a Disney movie called Tomorrowland, A World Beyond. Mm. 
which for a lot of people is probably very sp- a, a, a very strange choice because I could have had a Stanley Kubrick film or Star Wars. These are sure. all fantastic. But for me, the Tomorrowland movie, it embodies what I think we're here for. It's mm. to make a positive impact. And I absolutely love that film. I find it really difficult to watch, which is strange for a Disney movie. Um, but I absolutely love it. I love that. I'm, I'm going to have to check that one out, Tomorrowland, over on Disney+. Plus. All right, next up, what movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it? So, I really don't know that one. I would really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not an actor. I don't really enjoy acting, so I'm not sure I would really want to play anybody. But, but if you were to play Michelangelo, who is a expression, expression, ex- expressionist or an artist and whatnot. I honestly struggle with the idea of playing other people. This is probably what I'm struggling with. I don't think I would ever want to be an actor, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. I, I find simply being myself is hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I be somebody else when I'm having trouble being myself? I love it. All right, next up, who is your favorite superhero? I love all superheroes. Anybody who knows me well knows sci-fi is life for me. So I know my superheroes really well. Mm. But if I had to pick one, I'm thinking, okay, superpowers, for me, that's cheating. So it would have to be Batman. Nice. For a, a few reasons. I think, number one, he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the adulation. Mm -mm. He has an inner drive to make a difference. And he manages to turn all this drama and darkness into something positive. Mm. For me, Batman, number one, and I'm thinking as an extension of that, almost even more every man. I don't know if you remember the movie Kick-Ass. I do. Where an ordinary guy is just fed up and he wants to make a difference and he gets Mm. beaten up and it hurts but he keeps going anyway. And he has a fantastic time along the way. So Mm -hmm. Kick-Ass and Batman, they would be my yin and yang. I love it. And the last one, if you were a board game, what would it be? Oh, I like to keep things simple Mm -hmm. with a little bit of unpredictability. So I would have to say something as simple as Ludo. Nice. That is a very simple and predictable, but also very strategic game. Yeah, I have learned. I'm quite good at it now. Um, awesome. I think that game is called Sorry here in the U.S., but I remember Ludo as a name growing up in Saudi Arabia and in Pakistan. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the conversation, for your insights, and where is the one place that you want people to go to learn more about you? You can find everything from my website, which is amplifyme.agency. But you can also just search Bob Gentle in pretty much any podcast player or browser, and you'll find all my stuff. I'm really easy to find. Awesome. Bob, thank you so much again, and we'll, we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you very much. This is probably the most fun podcast interview I've ever done. Yeah. Despite our technical nonsense, <laughs> it was really good, and you did an awesome job. Thank you, Thank you so much. much, Bob. I love when people say that I've done a good job because we like being appreciated and I really appreciate you coming on and 
teaching me things that I didn't think of from perspective that I didn't know of. Thank you so much. You did an amazing job as a guest as well. No, the pleasure is all mine. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode on Hacks and Hobbies. We absolutely appreciate your contribution. You can find additional notes on hacksandhobbies.com. Please share the podcast with your friends and tell them what you learned about our guest today.